0: Well, I'm going to be uh, right up front with you. I'm here today to invite you to join me in a pyramid scheme. Let's pray together. So, Father, as we bow before you now, we invite you to speak into our hearts and lives. I pray for the people that are joining us in worship online this morning the children that are in the different areas of the church in kid Zone, for the people that are on site here in the sanctuary, for the 35 of our young adults who are out in the pass at retreat as Pastor Justine is leading them out there. Lord, wherever it is we're worshiping, we pray that you have been worshiped today. We've been singing, we read from Psalm 103. We've acknowledged you for who you are for the things that you've done. And we thank you for the opportunity to hear from you now. We pray that you'd speak into our life in very personal ways for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Debbie and I had just begun in ministry in Little Cornac, Saskatchewan. I was 22 years of age. She was 20. We were in a solo pastorate there. And about one month into ministry, um, we had to go to an event in Regina. And there was a bunch of pastors there, hundreds of pastors there. And I met a man named Gordon. I don't remember his last name. Gordon was a pastor. He was about 45 years of age. But Gordon, his hair had gone completely gray. Gordon was stooped over like this. Gordon was mumbling. I could barely understand what he was saying. It didn't really make a lot of sense. And Gordon had had a complete breakdown and was done in his church. It was my first encounter with a completely broken down leader. And it was a very vivid memory.
1: Why did that happen?
0: Today we're going to see someone who was on the precipice of the situation that Gordon was in. You have your Bible or your device, we encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus is the second book in the scripture, and it's all part of a series of messages we're doing when God leads the way. And it's the story of a covenant that God had with his people that happened hundreds of years before the event we're going to look at today where God said, one day you're going to be in captivity. One day I'm going to supernaturally remove you from slavery in Egypt and I'm going to take you to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. One day I'm going to raise up a guy named Moses and he's going to come and say, let God's people go and Pharaoh will say, not a chance. There'll be a series of miraculous supernatural events where Pharaoh will increasingly harden his heart and say, I will not comply, I will not let them go. And so many people will suffer because of the hardness of his heart. And eventually, he complied after ten plagues. The children of Israel leave Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. It looks like all hope is lost as the armies as Pharaoh has reneged on his promise again, and the armies are coming to slaughter the children of Israel and enslave whatever is left over. God miraculously, one more time, delivers them. And then they begin the journey on the other side towards the promised land. And life has begun to settle into a bit of a rhythm as they're making this journey into a natural approach, and they're heading towards the promised land. And in chapter 18, we see, I'm not going to read the first six verses, but basically what happens is Jethro, Moses' Midianite father-in-law, who's been looking after Moses' wife and his two children while Moses has been on mission. God sent him on mission in chapter 3 to go and do all of this. He left his wife and his kids behind because he thought there was a very good chance he was going to die during this mission. So he left them in looking after Jethro. was taking care of his daughter and grandkids. And now they come to visit. And Jethro comes and we pick up the action now In verse 7 of Exodus chapter 18. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. So he respected this guy. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all of the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other small g-gods for he did this to those who have treated Israel arrogantly." Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. The next day, so now it's back to work, they've catched Jethro up, they've said, way to go, yea, God, and now the next day it's back to work. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning to morning, till evening when his mother father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people he said what is this you're doing for the people why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening Moses answered him because the people came to me to seek come to me to seek God's will Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. So here's Moses, he's the leader chosen by God of between two and two and a half million people, and they're all looking to him. It's all resting on his human shoulders as he serves under God. And as they get started on the journey, the people are coming to him to hear God's will and to help him help help them understand what God's plans are for them and to settle the disputes. Well, things begin to snowball, and he finds himself working from early in the morning till late at night, and the burden just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the lineup of people waiting for him to pass an adjudication of the situation is just getting longer and longer. And if you've been tracking the story with me as we've been going through, we know this this is a cantankerous bunch. They like to scrap. They like to grumble. They like to have disputes. And so I can just imagine the line is getting so long you can't even see the end of it. And Moses is trying to judge and differentiate in every one of these cases. Let me ask you this. Why would Moses, who's an extraordinarily well-educated man, he would have been educated in the finest universities in the world at that time, Um, conversant in all the different subjects he would have studied there. Why would somebody that's so well-educated, well-read, all of these things, let this situation happen? Let me suggest a few reasons and as I suggest them, when you think about your life and what's going on in your life, see if any of these things resonate in your life and are an indicator of how you approach life. So Moses might have felt like no one else could do the job. And he felt indispensable.
1: Maybe he was a workaholic.
0: That's how he got his juices flowing, by working way too much. Maybe Moses was a perfectionist. If I let someone else do this, it'll never get done just right, the way only I can do it. That's what they pay me for. Now, I don't think they were probably paying him, but maybe that's your situation. He hated to say no. Are you that type of person? Oh, you know, I just hate to say no to people, and I can't work up the courage to say no. Even though I know I should say no, it's just easier to placate them and say yes. Maybe Moses liked to be in control and tell others what to do, and he got a huge ego rush as he told everybody what to do. Maybe he had this deep-seated need to please others. And his self-image resided in this pleasing of others. Maybe he was, even though he was really well-educated, and this can often be the case, he had trouble, you know, he would have identified what's the really important stuff, but he would just gravitate to the urgent rather than that which was important. Maybe he thought to himself, okay, I know what I need to do here, but it just takes way too much time to train all of these people and delegate all these tasks. It seems to me like it would just be faster for me to do it all myself. This is another common. Moses might have sat there and thought, well, I know who the leaders are that would be gifted to do this and I could train them, but, oh, they're just way too busy. And I I don't even want to bother asking them because I know they'll say no. And so Moses said their no for them without even having asked. That's a very common one. Probably deep down inside, sincerely, he thought he was doing what God wanted. But as we're going through all that we're going through right now, are you feeling overwhelmed? Did any of those ideas or concepts I just share really resonate with you and you just don't know which way to turn in life? Do you have the courage and the humbleness that it takes both to ask for help? To listen to the people that know? And so many leaders or whoever you are in life, whether you're a leader or not, just have this tendency to do too much and delicate too little and become, you know, transfixed on the details and they ignore, ignore the essentials. And they start getting exhausted and they move from this posture of whatever it is they're doing in life of enjoying it to simply enduring it. And they're frustrated and they become lonely and they become depressed. And they want to quit. Does God speak into these practical issues of life? He absolutely does. We're often not really willing to listen, but he absolutely does. And so God sends Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, a wise guy, to come and visit to bring Moses' wife and the grandkids. They have a day where they celebrate the incredible stories of God's provision, of God's Protection of God helping to escape from Egypt and how he's looked after them. And then the next day, it's back to work. And what does he do? He observes what Moses is doing. And does he say this to him? And because this is what we will often do in the church or in the business world or whatever. Does he say something like this to Moses? Way to go, Moses! Way to burn yourself out! Way to sacrifice. Way to suck it up for the team. God's going to reward you big time because you've devastated yourself and neglected the things you really should be doing. Way to go, Moses. Things like family, oh, they'll just take care of themselves. Things like leading the people, somehow that'll just take care of itself. But way to go, Moses. Moses. And we do this in the church sometimes. We stand on the sidelines and cheer people on for doing just that. Neglecting the things they really should do. Neglecting to use the gifts they've really been given. And the things they
1: should be doing. And so
0: this guy, Jethro, basically asks Moses a couple of questions. One of them, I think, resides in verse 17. We haven't quite read that yet. We will in a minute. The first one is, why have you let judging become more important? Yeah, you can do the judging. There's no doubt about it. You're do, you can do a great job of that. But why have you let judging become more important than your top priority of leading God's people? You're the leader of two plus million people. Why are you doing all of these things when you should be doing this? Whatever your situation is in life, whether you're a leader or not, have you asked yourself and said, God, what's the most important things that I need to be doing? The things that you've obviously gifted me for. The things that need to be done and that no one else besides me needs to do it. What are those things? And are they being done the way they should be done, in a proper approach, in a proper timing, and all of those things? Have you asked that question? Because if you haven't, and you haven't listened to God's response, you're going to be frustrated. And guess what? Everybody around you will be frustrated too. Second question. Why are you doing this job alone? Hey, the job needs to be done. It's not a question of whether this job needs to be done. Why are you doing this job all by yourself? It makes no sense. It's impossible to do it completely by yourself. And you have, you know, unstated here, but he's really saying indirectly, the fact is, is God has gifted people. In a variety of ways. You don't have an exclusive call on this gifting or the exercise of this gift. And we need to allow for that, Moses. Come on, buddy. Let God work through his people as well. And I understand. Some people are just lazy. Some people think, and I don't know where they get this idea that they can just sit on the sideline and do nothing... This is certainly not biblical thinking in any way To just take your gift and put it on a shelf And let everybody else do it There's nothing biblical about that We are never called to just sit
1: And marinate Ever
0: Some people are just lazy But sometimes the leaders won't give them a chance For all those reasons I described earlier or some combination of them. And so Jethro watches what he's doing. He's going, oi what's this guy doing? And so beginning in verse 17, he says this to him. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you, Moses. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God. In other words, you have to have a healthy, holy relationship with God. This is paramount, Moses, if you want to do this right. Healthy, holy relationship with God. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. You're to be the main teacher here, Moses. But select capable men from all of the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. In other words, they can't be bribed. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple ones they can decide themselves, that will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. This sounds so simple, doesn't it? But so often we neglect this stuff for all the reasons and probably a few that I missed earlier. Share the load. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. See, Moses is a humble guy, right? He listened to the wise, godly advice, which we often don't like to do. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. Moses, not only are you gonna wreck yourself if you keep up at this pace, but imagine how frustrated the people are. Imagine how exhausted the people. Have you ever stood in line all day? Standing around doing nothing is exhausting, and it's frustrating. And pretty soon, Moses, you are going to be beyond caring. They're going to stand around. the people who are all day, wasting time getting madder and madder and madder the longer they have to wait, making the problem bigger than it really should be. And we try to do this stuff all the time, and we think to ourselves, the only one that's really suffering here is me. Actually, all kinds of people are suffering around us when we approach life like this. And so he gives them this very sound advice, and quite frankly, when you read it, it sounds like a pyramid scheme but only in the best sense and in a good sense and in a right sense. It's a systematic plan to spread the load, to delegate, to say, make sure your relationship with God is right, Moses, and then he'll lead you to tap on the shoulder, gifted people, People, some of whom, and it's not that one is better than the other, it's just that sometimes God gifts this person with more uh, capacity than this person. So some of them are going to be able to look after a thousand people, some a hundred, some fifty, some ten. Teach them the principles of God's word so that they can know the law themselves and know how to handle things and adjudicate things. People who have honest hearts, people of integrity, wise people who understand what God wants. And then reserve the most difficult of the difficult cases for the Supreme Court, for you. But let them handle all the rest. You know, in whatever role you find yourself in life, and in whatever situation you find yourself in life right now, there's a couple of things, eh? Whether you're a leader of a large group or a smaller group, or you're not a leader at all, there's always this balance of the essentials in life, and what I would call the additionals. Additionals are not a bad thing. They typically have to be done, but they often do not have to be done by you. And so imagine, just with me, imagine later that day. This is tough stuff. So let me just describe a scenario in Moses' life, and then something that happened to me just minutes ago. Moses is, okay, he gets the downloaded message from Jethro. And so he's in his tent. He's picked out the leaders that God has led him to. And he's working on his laptop, getting ready for his teaching moment with all the leaders the next day to teach them God's word. To get them ready so that they can start judging uh, and adjudicating the disputes and helping the people understand God's will. And he's getting ready for this massive talk that he's going to have with thousands of leaders. And he's working on his laptop, getting ready for this talk. And outside his tent, he hears two people going at it, scrapping to beat the band. And at first, he's really tempted to go and stop it. But he goes, no, no, this is what I got to do. My father-in-law told me to do this. I know God wants this. And he keeps working. But these people are getting louder and louder and louder. And he closes his laptop. He goes outside the tent. He calms them down, he listens to the problem, and he helps them work through the issue. But the next day, he gets up to talk, and he fumbles the ball. Because he's not as prepared as he should be for this crucial talk with all his new leaders. Is it an important matter that these people get some help so that they can solve the quarrel, or begin to process the quarrel? Yes, it is. Did Moses have to do it? Absolutely no way.
1: And this is tough stuff.
0: Just minutes ago, just before this service launched, someone comes up to me, and I could see it in their eyes. They are in significant distress. They wanted to talk to me. There's just no way. There was 20-some people waiting for me to come and talk to them. And then all of you. And I had to say no. But then I got a couple of other people to go and talk to them. But I'll tell you, it broke my heart to say no. It's hard sometimes to say no. Even though I sensed from God that was the right thing to do. And then a couple of other people talked to them. And later, I was able to ask the two of them, did you follow up on that? And they had. But in the moment, it was really hard. Did Moses have to do this? Like, help the people outside the tent? Not a chance. Other gifty people could have helped, handled it. When I was 16 years old, during the summer... I worked on a farm and a construction site. I worked for a guy named Albert Lutzer. And Albert had a large farm and a large construction firm. And he had me because I didn't know too much. When I started on the farm and then the construction, I was more into destruction on the construction site. I'd just smash things and then clean it up, and somebody else would do the skilled work. But I started out on the farm, and I was just doing the basic stuff. I was cultivating rod weeding, which is kind of like your entry-level, you know, driving the big tractor stuff. And uh, the first couple of rounds, it's very time-consuming work, but it needs to be done. And the first couple of rounds, Albert, the owner, is riding with me to show me, go, OK, I want you to do this field, then this field, and he's showing me what to do and stuff. Here's how you raise the shovels, you know, blah, blah, blah. and. Uh, He got quiet at one point, and he said, you know, sometimes I wish I could just be doing this. It's really quiet in here, even though the tractor was pretty loud. He goes, it's really quiet in here, and it would just give me some time to think. You know, the reality is, is he was the owner. And he could have done that if he wanted. He could have said to me, kick me out of the cab and just start driving, because he owned the farm. He owned the businesses, but understand that at that moment in time, as I was doing this rudimentary work, he had two major construction sites on the go in Regina and a large farm that he was managing, and he was taking one of his quarters of land, and he had given it, and he was developing it to make it into a Bible ranch camp that to this day services hundreds of people every year, maybe even thousands, I can't remember anymore. So yeah, he could have stopped everything and just gone cultivating for a few days and chilled out, but then his construction sites would have gone down the tubes, and maybe that Bible camp, ranch camp, that both my nieces have gone to many times would never have come to fruition. As a leader, or whoever you are in life, there's going to be moments when you're faced with the essentials, which you must do, and the additionals. And even though you might enjoy doing some of those additionals, do you really need to be the one doing them? Or could they be delegated? And would it be wise to delegate them?
1: The temptation for a
0: pastor like me, and trust me, this is an incredibly strong temptation because of the way God usually wires a pastor, is to do all the visiting. Like in my first church, I used to visit by the hundreds. Little church, visited by the hundreds. Do all the visiting, the counseling, the setting up of things, the teaching, the literally hundreds of things. That it takes to make a church go. But what does Ephesians chapter 4 say? It says it really not the job of the pastor. In fact, it would be wrong for the pastor to do all of those things. And there's people that try to pressure you to do all those things, and that's when those moments come where you have to graciously say no. No, the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the ministry to let them activate the gifts God has put in their life to prepare them for works of ministry and service. And when the pastor like Moses if he tries to do all those things, you know what happens? A very shoddy job gets done. And the size of the and the scope of the ministry is severely curtailed. And it translates over into life whatever you do in life. One of the reasons we have small groups in our church and groups of that nature, Moses recognized the value of dividing the people as he listened to his father-in-law into bite-sized groups. And it made all the difference for him, but not just for him, for all the people. And it said in verse 24, they'll go home happy. And so I really ask you, are you in a small group Are you in a a Zoom prayer group? Are you in the ladies' if table? Are you in a triad? We have all these things going on in the background. And if you aren't, there's a significant chance you're going to feel a little neglected because you've chosen not to activate or be part of one of those things. Like, what are some of the benefits of being in these groups? The thing we're hearing all the time right now in North America, with what we're going through, is the need for community. You're hearing this and reading this all the time. People are dying, you know, aching for community. When you're in one of these groups, it increases the possibility of being in healthy community, of being connected. If you're in a group of, you know, four to 10 people, or a Zoom prayer group that's got six people, or an if table that has three or four or five people, or in a triad, where you can be there for one another, And build community together. If you just come here Sunday morning and then immediately leave, or you're just joining us in worship online, and then you're just turning your TV to another channel, and that's the extent of your relational community building, you're probably going to feel neglected. Because you've made those choices.
1: When you're in these kinds of groups, you're
0: cared for, and you can care for others, which... Sometimes when you care for others, that's almost, in many it's going to sound funny, but it's almost more beneficial to you than when others care for you. Because there's this joy that attaches when you serve. And so you can care for one another and one another's well-being and their spiritual well-being. You can learn together as you study God's word together. And these are different platforms that are provided to do that. You can pray for one another. And you can pray more personally for people rather than, oh, Lord, just bless the church. And there's some value in praying like that, but I'm gonna suggest there's even more layers of benefit when you're praying very specific for people in the church or in the community by name and by specific request. And you can contribute and serve together. Moses, when he listened to his father-in-law, saw the value of this, and we do too. You know, even though you're in relationship with Jesus, we are not exempt from the penalties of breaking sort of the natural laws that God has put in place. And when we fail to delegate, when we fail to let other people use the gifts God has given them, this can lead us to to physical, emotional, mental, spiritual breakdown. And trust me, I've been there. I've been right on the precipice of that more than once in my life because of unwise choices on my part. And then I was able to let some leaders come in and help me. So I understand what it means to make not the best decisions when it comes to these things. And God puts these sort of natural barriers in place for a reason. And when we deliberately flaunt them, Eventually, there will be trouble. So, what responsibility is wearing you out in life? Is it taking care of the kids? Is it taking care of that aging parent? Is it settling a family dispute or disputes? Is it fulfilling church commitments? Is it breaking, bringing home the bacon? Is it running from here, there, to everywhere for all the things the kids are in? Is it juggling all the above? Or is it just sitting around watching way too much TV or the internet? What is it, Walter Bolt? Walter Bolt is dead now, but Walter Bolt was a very well-known pastor. Pastored the largest Alliance Church here in Canada before he retired. And when I was a young man, he was in the heart of pastoring that church, and he had overworked himself to the point of a breakdown. But he learned from that, he had to go away from his church for a while, came back, and he had learned from that, some very good lessons. So one time, a bunch of us young pastors were asking questions, and one guy stood up, put up his hand, and and asked this question. When do you get up in the morning? Now, you have to understand, there's usually a, a meaning behind this, and I think in this case, that was the case. And and what was going on there is that, especially for pastors, this is code word for pride. When do you get up in the morning? Because you appear really spiritual if you're up with the birds when you're a pastor. And I am so deeply thankful that I've never been tempted by that kind of pride. Well, they expected Walter to say, oh, I'm up at 4 a.m., every day, to pray for three hours. And here's what he said. They said, when do you get up in the morning, Pastor Bolt? And here's what he said, eight hours after I go to sleep. Very profound. He understood the natural rhythms God's put in place. The vast, vast, vast bulk of people need seven or eight hours of sleep. Some need a little less. Some need a little more, but most people need that amount of sleep. And it was his way of saying, I neglected some things, and it cost me big time. And in order to be used by God, I'm going to seek to have eight hours of sleep every night. I don't know what your situation is in life. Maybe you need to serve a lot more. Maybe you need to be doing a lot more, and you've somehow convinced yourself you don't need to, but really you need to. As believers, we can never just sit. You're called to serve. For other, And I think there's some of that going on right now, to be honest. For others, it could be that you really should miss that next meeting, or whatever. Not because it's not important, but rather so that you can do what you read really need to be doing in your position. Or give that other person an opportunity to use the gifts God has put in their life. What would God's pyramid scheme look like
1: for you?